My name is Mark Hodelik, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can get bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. What's up, everybody? We have a great guest to bring you today. He is the brain behind one of my all-time favorite events, 29029. If you follow Steve and I, you know we did this last year, and it is essentially where you do laps up a ski hill to reach the equivalent height of Mount Everest, 29,029 feet. But in this episode, we dive deeper than just the incredible company that he's created. We learn from Mark about how he became such a good operations specialist and has built some of the best culture and community in an event that I have ever seen before. We also go into how he has trained for countless endurance races and ultra marathons and the dark sides that he has to go to to mentally be able to do those races and how he has also been able to raise millions of dollars for charity throughout his career. We literally could have spent hours talking with Mark because he has such a great personality and is such a fit for the Go Big to Get Big movement. So we hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we had fun interviewing the co-founder of 29029, Mark Hodlich. Oh, wait, wait, guys. Hold on one sec. If you didn't already know, Steve and I have launched one of the coolest masterminds out there, the Go Big to Get Big Mastermind, and we only have a few spots left to join. We have partnered with Cole Hatter to create a community of successful, high-performing entrepreneurs that don't want to just do business to make money. They want to do business to make a massive impact in this world. This group is going to be the face of our new movement. And I promise if you want to go big to give big, then this is going to be the best place to get around like-minded people and allow you to achieve that. You can learn more about it by visiting thrivegivebig.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E, givebig.com. And you can learn so much about what we're creating here, but it is going to be an awesome opportunity. With that, let's just let you now listen to the incredible episode with Mark. All right, I am fired up to welcome our guest today, Mark Halditz. Dude, thank you so much for being here. Randy, thanks. Steve, thanks for having me. Pumped to be here. This is going to be a, a, a ton of fun. Obviously, uh, you're one of the co-founders of 29029, which Steve and I did earlier this year, or I guess last year, and had a ton of fun. It changed our lives. But it wasn't just the event that I'm excited for. When I when I looked you up on LinkedIn to start finding a little bit about you and 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 get some background details, basically what I found was you produce epic events, you're an endurance race addict, and you've raised a ton of money to charity. Like that is the exact person that we looked for 
when we put together our ideal guests for this podcast. So uh, I'm excited to to hear a little bit, but I'd love for you just to start, you know, maybe halfway through your kind of career life as you started, you know, finding stuff that inspired you to go bigger, you know, wanting to do some of these more endurance races, looking bigger, starting to scale some companies and become a CEO of some companies. Like, did you always think you were destined to do big things? Where did that come from? And how has that scaled over the years? Yeah, well, first, just thanks for having me. Appreciate the kind words. It's funny. I'm on uh, an advisor board of a company and I got asked to submit a resume. You know, I would say from early on, I've always been creative, but I wouldn't have ever described myself as creative. I'm just looking back on it now. Uh, I was willing to to fail, maybe, right? And and it's not that I had businesses when I was eight or 10 years old and I was always hustling. But uh, I was always willing to pursue creative ideas that I had, right? And that may have been organizing, you know, tournaments for my friends or games or things in college, different parties that we had, right? Like it was, it was pursuing those things and not being scared to to name something, to try to brand it and throw things out there. And um, but that kind of maybe abundant thinking, as I like to to call it, that's just grown, right? I think I've had to lean into that more. There were a lot of moments of self doubt. Um, Certainly early on, and, and even as I had some success in some of the first businesses or first live events that I had, I was not willing to leave my day job, right? You know, and it was that holding on for too long, and it wasn't until something had already made it that I was leaving. And then it's something that a lot of people struggle with. So I guess I would just say, look, I, I'm proud of, you know, my career path and trajectory, but it, it hasn't been linear at all. There's been a lot of downs and, uh, and you know, as Colin, you know, one of my, my partners in 29, I would say like, you have to have those moments on a scale of one in 10, you have to have those ones to have tens. I've certainly had a lot of those ones and twos and I'm not shy to talk about them. And, and, you know, the other thing that I would just say is a starting off point is, is that as I look across like whatever resume that was, right. And, and I got asked to just write an introductory paragraph about myself. I said, I'm a husband and I'm a father. Like that's what I'm most proud of is my family. And I think that the things that I'm doing now, hopefully are showing examples of just hard work, doing the right thing, caring the most, those types of things, and that you'll eventually have success in whatever you're pursuing if you're willing to put in the work. So, you know, I just wanted to set a good example. Um, and then obviously have a lot of fun and build some cool businesses along the way too. That is just the dream life, dude. And uh, it sounds like you're living it. That's awesome. And um Steve and I were joking before this, like, which direction are we going to take this? We can go so many different directions because you're so uh, versatile in the go big discussion. But um, one of the ones I wanted to just touch on now is uh, we'll, we'll probably jump into 20, I know 29 pretty quickly because it's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, but from a starting point, like you got uh, connected to, to Jesse Itzler and Colin O'Brady, two of the craziest maniacs you've ever seen uh, on the scales of just like, Paul has broken so many world records and Jesse just does in crazy, you know, crazy adventures all the time in a very uh, well-known business mogul. When you put this team together, did you feel like, 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 holy smokes, I've assembled a really cool team. How did that idea come together? Was it just one of those things where you were like, this is like it? Or did you have to work to be a part of those guys' culture and create this idea? How did that all shape up together? Sure. I mean, to give me the brief version, I think that there's probably a decade of growing as an entrepreneur, as a husband, as a father, uh, that, that leads up to some things happening in an authentic way. What I mean by that is I didn't seek out Jesse or Colin, right? Um, I had a track record of raising, you know, 
millions upon millions of dollars from Memorial Phil Henry Cancer Center, having an event that I created to get live coverage on CNBC, right? Being Wall Street Journal's donor of the day, right? Raising hundreds of thousands of dollars myself and millions through crowdfunding, right? Um, starting businesses, having businesses fail, right? And then just being authentic. So what I mean by that is that I think people see the results of like, oh, these are your business partners. Like, how did you approach them? What happened? Well, what actually happened with Jesse was that I had a business that had failed and, and I'd had a business that was very successful. And I met him and I was coaching his son, Laser, who was seven years old in flag football. And we were just talking about life. And I didn't even know who Jesse was, right? And in fairness, Jesse's an amazing entrepreneur, right? He founded Marquee Jet. Um, he's been on a rap label. He was a early investor and partner in Tico Coconut Water that sold Coke. He's had this amazing trajectory, but probably around the time that I met him, he was really best known for being like billionaire Sarah Blakely founder of Spank's husband, right? I didn't even know that. So I just met him and he was just like, a, a guy that just seemed cool when a lot of the other dads were not down there wanting to hang out. So we threw the football after practice, right? We talked about going on a run together and getting a smoothie. That's what we did. And the founder was like, what do you do? And I told him that this business model that I had and things like that. And he's like, man, I've always wanted to have my race. So I have a lot of ideas. He's like, well, pitch me some of those ideas. Again, I wasn't looking for a partner. I wasn't looking for an investment. And there was just a vibe there that honestly, at that point, then I started pursuing. I'm like, hey, I've done things on my own. I've done things by myself. I actually like having a partner, but I wouldn't want to be in charge. I want to be the operator. I want to be the CEO. This is my idea. But who are those people that can actually fulfill things where I'm not good at, right? Colin, same thing. It was, look, once we had the idea concept of 49, Colin was someone that got introduced to us and I immediately liked who he was in terms of, you know, Colin, I think I met him, had three or 4,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. Right? And and yet he joined these amazing things. He already had seven world records or something. Colin had legitimacy in the area which we were talking about. He'd climbed Everest. I had, right? Jesse had. So to make it too long of an answer, he's put a bow on it. I think, look, those relationships came from being authentic, from um, not asking a line out of those people and pursuing it organically. But also, like, I did a lot of work and I provided a lot of value. My business partners in a position where they got to do things that they did best, which was broadcast the message, be subject matter experts, and speak. They're great speakers. I'm not the draw. That's okay, right? I don't have to be the front man. And, and I don't care if a lot of people think that, that they do all the work. People think I do the work as CEO. I have an amazing team behind me that does most of the work, mm -hmm. quite frankly. So I think it just came from being authentic, right place, right time, uh, and also just being self-aware about what I want and what success looks like. That's a perfect answer, man. That's what I was really wanting to hear because, like I said, I, obviously those names draw people in, but I, I know what goes into running events. I know it's the unseen hours that actually produce that stuff. And you have a gift for creating some of the best culture that I've ever seen, some of the best team I've ever seen. And I know that comes from your your skill sets and background mixed with your team, but that was uh, your core values from all the stuff that I could research on, all the companies you've done, all the events you've done, all you, like that is one of your core values is making it super fun, awesome for the employees, but just the culture you've created is insane. Talk to us about where like the culture comes from, why you have that such a community aspect uh, attracted to you? Look, uh, I was just with my parents earlier today. They live in Birmingham. They're staying with me for the week. They come up to see my kids play sports about once a month and we were at a coffee shop. And it comes from my parents, right? Like we were the house the kids wanted to hang out at. My dad always made things fun. My mom's fun. They have a lot of charisma. I think the kids call it Riz right now. That's what my kids, that's the slang term. Like my parents are very high Riz, right? 
And the thing I learned from my dad was that he just, uh, you know, he was a sales executive. Um, he was a corporate executive, but the main thing was people wanted to do business with him. He made it fun and he was honest. And so as I've been able to build companies, and that makes it sound big, we're a full-time team of nine people at 29 and 29, right? Like I'm not a CEO of some 500 person company. That's not what my driver is though, right? And I think that I want to have fun. I want to do work that's impactful. I want to make people's lives better. And I want to make money while doing so, right? And then I think it's okay to do that. And, and at a time in my 30s, you know, the culture wasn't as great because my business partner, as much as I respected it and, and how hard he worked, we were competing for the spotlight, right? And the reason Jeff and Colin were so good for me was I was comfortable enough with myself, right? Uh, I was self-aware enough and I had enough confidence to be like, these guys are better at speaking than I am. These guys are better being the front and face of the company. And I don't need that. And actually, I don't want it, right? Um, whereas before, it was kind of competing. So I think that there were probably some 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 struggles in terms of fighting for spotlight or who's in charge of this. And and then once it was like, man, this is your company and you're running it and we're business partners of yours, it also made it easier to let them focus on what they're good at. And, and I can focus more on culture, hiring the right team, leading by example, and, you know, finding that balance of, of working your ass off, but having fun, right? Because um, the, it is a team behind me that that makes this event. And the best thing that I can do is just honestly be a champion of them and put them in a position to do what they want to do. And really, you're willing to have the hard conversation. It's hard to have someone tell you they're bored in your job. It's hard to have someone tell you that they need to make more money or other types of things. But I'm proactive about those discussions because I care about those people, right? So... It, it took some messing up again in the past to then say, you're out, man, once you got it right and you got good people, make sure they're happy and you got to check a lot of boxes for employees. The main one to me is, are you enjoying what you're doing? Because if you're not, like, let me help you find something else that you're enjoying doing as much as I'd hate to see you go. If this doesn't check all those boxes for you, I want to find where it does for someone. I want you to be happy somewhere else too. Mark, I absolutely love that. And uh, the leading by example thing, I think not as many leaders do that as you would genuinely think. Like I've been able to peek inside of many different businesses. And when you look at that C-suite or, or management level, like they're not leading by the example that they expect a lot of team to, to perform at. And hearing you just talk about uh, your team and, and being able to you know put them first and have those tough discussions and, and have that genuine care for what their like happiness in life is and outcome in life is, I think is just incredible culture to create. And one of my favorite things about leadership in terms of like leading by example is I think I'm really hearing it from how you speak of your team gets all the credit, but if something goes like if something goes right, it's your team's responsibility for for that. If something goes wrong, it's your responsibility for that. So a lot of hundred percent. Right. And so, in I respect that and admire that in all leaders. And I just want to give you props for that because I'd noticed that just in this conversation, but I want to switch topic a little bit um, into like endurance aspect on things. And so, you know, you completed the Ironman. Uh, by the way, I'm doing one in 2024. So excited oh, for that. Terrified, yeah. but excited. And you've done ultra marathons. Uh, and so like in training for that, you are literally training for like the breaking point in your physical, you know, body and mind. How does training for that physical breaking point relate to like starting or operating a business? Look, I think it's uh, most people. So first of all, I love doing an Ironman. 
right? Like I'm a fan of all endurance sports and anything that makes people better, right? It's a competitive. They put on an awesome show. My Ironman is one of the highlights of my life. Like crossing the finish line, hearing someone say, Mark Cota, look, you're at Ironman. Like it was awesome, right? Um, the lifestyle change I had to make for an Ironman was not sustainable for me being a father and a husband, right? It's just, it was a short window of time of training of eight months, but it was a lot, a lot of work, right? What I think about that process is for me, that amount of work, it's not the finish line. That's what I think people see. They see the medal. They see the red hat. They see the photo at the finish. They don't see the growth that takes place from actually doing the workouts, right? And when you don't want to. Me going to the pool at 5 a.m., like I couldn't swim. The first day I went, I'd sign up for an Ironman. I didn't own a bike. I never run a marathon, right? So I, I like, oh, I'm this endurance athlete. You know, I ran track in college. I was a miler. I was used to running hard for four minutes and change. So I never done a half marathon um, other than, you know, in training runs. Long story short, I get in the pool and they had to turn long course. So instead of a 25 meter pool, we were swimming 50 meters. I couldn't make it to the other side without grabbing the rope, right? 50 meters, right? I had to swim, you know, what is it? Okay. Yeah. Like 2.4 miles. Like it, I was nowhere close. So the growth happens when no one's looking, right? And so what I, what I started to tell myself is like, I'm in the pool when everyone's in their warm bed, right? I'm out running when everyone's out drinking coffee. Like I'm putting in work and I'm getting better while others are just being saying that that's not knocking other people. It's just say that was my own way that I picked myself up. And uh, it's a long process to get there. So for me, I like seeing that growth, but I also had to recognize that, you know, as great as that finish line is addicting as it is, you have to be able to translate it to others, your life to answer your question, right? That grit that you build up, people are doing that every day. People are doing really hard jobs. People are commuting every day. They're traveling for business. It's not easy to go to the airport and get on a plane and deal with time change and then take a red eye back and be there for your kids. Like that's a lot harder than getting up and like swimming in the pool, right? But for some reason, people think like, oh, I can't do that. Like put in the work, like I couldn't travel that much and be away from my family that much. Like that, that's just something like I wouldn't be happy if I had to do that. So I think people are doing hard things all the time. They're not giving themselves credit because they're used to it. If you do Ironman two, three, four, five years in a row, it becomes easy. It becomes routine. Your body's used to it. Then tell your body, go try to deadlift 400 pounds. You can't do it, right? But to the weightlifter, it's easy. So I think it's, it's hard to switch and try new things. But what you learn from the discipline and growth and endurance work, it is applicable in all aspects of your life, right? Um, the confidence you gain, the patience that you gain, those types of things will play out in other areas. And um, I don't even think you have to look for them. But what I've noticed is if you have that discipline and work ethic, it, it can go both ways. The, the work ethic you have of being an entrepreneur and starting something and being willing to fail will immediately benefit you in endurance sport. And what you learn in endurance sport will immediately benefit you in your home life um, and in your work life. So long as you recognize that you have to have balance. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard thing because you get addicted to the finish line and you may get to be too selfish and continue to want to do the next thing. And not actually see this translate in your area of your life because now, now you become too ingrained in that endurance sport of that high that the finish line creates. I love all that, Mark. And, um, you know, uh, this is a nice little segue actually into the question I, I wanted to ask next. And you, know, you mentioned that through that training, whether it be 
you know, just the discipline in business or the discipline for a, you know, a high endurance event or whatever that goal might be. A lot of that work is in unseen hours and you're not getting like the pat on the back from friends or from colleagues or anything like that, or like the, the attaboys and the good jobs and the keep goings because it's the unseen hour. Right. And I think in my case, anyways, in, uh, something that I struggle with and I know a lot of my peers struggle with is like the self doubt that might creep in because it's in those unseen hours. And you're not getting those out of boys. When I looked on your Instagram just before this popped up to see what was relevant and, and new, I saw in your description it says, when in doubt, lean in. And then tie that to self-doubt. If you're doubting yourself, leaning in, describe that to me. Yeah. So I've grown a lot as a person. When I ran college track, um, I was back up in high school. I was winning multiple state titles and you used to weigh, you get used to getting on the line and I could look up and down the line of 15 guys and, and know the one guy that maybe, you know, how to beat. And I went to college and I ran in the SNC where I was trying to find the one guy that I could beat, where I wouldn't be last. And I don't make a joke of it. Legitimately, like I didn't want to be last. Right. And I didn't go in with confidence. Right. And so I was scared of the moment you put in all the work, you're running 70, 80 miles a week for four minutes on the track and I would get my ass kicked. Because I didn't enjoy the moment and I was scared of what would happen. Right. Fast forward, you know, 20 years almost and doing my first Ironman, it was like, man, I trained nine months. I'm ready for this moment. Like, are you nervous? You're nervous because you care. I didn't have a doubt that I could swim 2.4 miles. I'd done it four or five times in practice. I didn't have a doubt that I could bike 112 miles. I biked 120 numerous times. You know, I hadn't run in marathon still ever, but I'd done multiple days where I did a two mile swim, 120 mile bike. And then 22 miles. And I did it in Atlanta in the hot sun and heat humidity. Now it was going to be in Montreal Blanc, you know, in a 60 degree lake with the water, t- you know, the air temperature, 55 degrees for the whole day. Like it was going to be easier. And I think what I mean by that is I was looking forward to that moment. The whole reason I signed up was looking forward to that moment of, are you going to push or are you going to give up? Right. You want it to be hard. And that's what I've learned more through Nourished for is that I was looking for that moment where, you know, I don't know if this own quote, if I cobble things together of the way or, or someone actually said this, but like when the mind opens the door to quitting, I'm looking for that moment where am I going to let my body step through that door or not to quit, right? And I know what quitting feels like. I only quit on myself once in my entire life. It was awful. And I'll never forget that moment. I never want to quit, but I want to be challenged so hard where it creeps into my mind, right? And so, uh, I was looking for those moments. And I mean by that is if you know what quitting feels like, if you know what giving up on yourself feels like, lean in to what it, it, it may not feel like. Right. And the amazing thing about doing something like an ultra marathon, 29 and 29 is a perfect example of it. But I know this went at Leadville, 104 mile run, 10,000 feet of altitude, um, is the base elevation. So you're above 10,000 feet the whole time you gain and lose somewhere around 20,000 feet throughout the race. There's so much unknown doing something like that, right? But I was waiting for that moment. And um, what you realize is, you know, the highest of highs don't last forever, neither do the lowest of lows. When you have those low moments, you probably just need calories, right? It's so simple. <laughs> um, you probably just need to eat some more. But if you don't give up on yourself, you know, there's a lot of great I didn't come up with that one. I didn't come up with, you know, Chad writes, don't die in the chair. I didn't come up with, you know, don't make a decision sitting down, but it's true. You just keep walking and suddenly you're like, wait, another mile just went by and it didn't get worse. I don't feel great, but I can keep going. 
So I think leaning into me to tie it all together is just put yourself in an opportunity where, where you really test yourself because you walk away feeling so proud when you didn't give up. And I just think as we get older, we're not as proud of ourselves anymore. Like I look at my boys who are 11 and 13 and they're proud of their accomplishments. They're proud of their straight A's. They're proud of making basketball team. They're proud of a play they made in a game. At the end of the day, I'm not tie fiving my wife and my kids about, man, I crushed that podcast, kid. Like, I'm so proud of myself, you know? But man, I was damn proud of myself when I did my Ironman. I was unbelievably proud of um, a lot of moments that I've created. And then I'm proud of my kids and I'm proud of my wife. Those are different things. We're just proud of something I did myself. I feel like when you get older, you don't do as much of that. And then I think it nerds forth an opportunity for you to be vulnerable and scared and then be proud of yourself for not giving up or seeing what you accomplished by the hard work you put in. Dude, I guess the coolest thing, and I had never done any endurance sports prior to 29 or 29. And uh, everything you're saying is just true. The prep for it was some of the best training that I could have done in in general, you know, when it's, you know, we just trained in the summer, but when it's up here where it's 30, 31, 32 degrees out and you're like, nice, I got to go run outside right now because I know I'm going to prep and train for something. And the accomplishment at the end of it is something that I still, to this day, like my heart is warm. When somebody asks you like, what was that feeling like? It's an instant smile. It's instant giddy. Like you don't lose that. And, uh, and I was, uh, very challenged at the end of it, uh, to accomplish more because I didn't exactly hit the ones and twos like you talked about. And I went and did a marathon seven days after 29029. And that's where I had to go make some of those decisions where I had to lean in and find that new level of suck. And, uh, I just have so much respect for people now, uh, that have to go through that and the excitement that people have in finding that suck. So, uh, thank you for bringing a light to it. Thank you for creating 20 and nano 29 for a lot of people to find that gear and find that level. And Steve and I attest a lot of the growth we've had in the past year, purely just to attending 29029. So absolutely huge credit. And thank you for, for recognizing that thing that you had and then giving it to the public. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. It means a lot. I want to jump into the, the giving side now. Dude, you are one of the most philanthropic, low-key people I know. You've raised millions of dollars through charity events and other events that you've done. And by nature, you just seem like someone who gives. And uh, something we find out quite often in this podcast is not a spotlight for people that get to share very often because you don't want to brag. It's not like you're bragging about what you've done. But I want to give you some time now to just like share and inspire other people that might be listening to this that, that have or want to aspire to do some more donations and how they can incorporate it. And I'm excited to jump in because you can take anything and turn it into a space to raise money. And I want to start by asking you about the uh, the cathalon that you do for the Wall Street that you created. <laughs> like you took Wall Street and you did a, a sporting event and then you made it a charity event. How do you do that, man? Yeah, I mean, look, that came from just pursuing some creativity I'm not involved in that anymore. I I, I uh, left that in 2015. And I'm super proud of what we did. Well, one of my former business partners been able to continue to do. The, the just the, the the story behind that, and very brief, is that you know we were guys being guys arguing who was the best athlete amongst like eight of us. And I was like, well, I'll put together a competition to see, you know, who's the best. And and, and so that competition was, you know very much like an NFL combine meets the CrossFit games before the CrossFit games existed. I'm an old guy, right? It's 2008. CrossFit, CrossFit games didn't exist then. 
And that's all it was. And every guy worked on Wall Street but me. So just naturally, we just said, oh, we just crowned Wall Street's best athlete, right? And it was like, wow, that has something to it. The next year, we're going to do it. We said, we should benefit something. This is Wall Street people getting together when you had Occupy Wall Street happening, right? We remember a time after the financial crisis, Wall Street's still a villain in a lot of areas, but it was very, very villainized at during that period. Rightly so, right? Yeah. A lot of people made a lot of money and, and a lot of people lost a lot of money. Wall Street won, right? And uh, let's, let's, let's have a positive here. And I think if, if you have a creative idea and people are really willing to put in work, people are very happy to support you, right? And you have to be willing to make the ask for getting people the form in which to do so. And a lot of our success came from there being unbelievably philanthropic audience within the Wall Street demographic, respecting the efforts that people are putting forward in the decathlon, right? And, and so we had people to go above and beyond in giving and it's fundraising. And we were just a facilitator of that at the end of the day, right? And uh, our company was able to give away money, of course, but it was the individuals that raised money, right? It wasn't necessarily me. And, and even in this case, as I've had some financial success, you know, I'm associated with causes and helping causes in a far greater way than I'm actually the one writing the check. I'm still not at that place in my life where I can write some grant or I can do something. And, um, you know, and I think that's okay because I'm having a much, in, much bigger impact with either my time or my ideas playing out. And, and, and that's just something I've continued to pursue. It feels really good. You know, 29 and 29 is not a 501c3. We don't benefit any specific organization. But it becomes a vehicle in which we encourage people to pick their favorite charity because for a year, what a story you're telling. I'm training for something. I'm climbing for something. This is what my goal is. I and mean, it plays out via something that people can watch on social media take place. So rather than us tie it to a specific charity and say, hey, we're giving all of our money to pediatric cancer research. Well, that alienates us from people who maybe are aligned with a different cause or disease or whatever it may be. And, and they say, well, that's great, but I want to go do this because it's, it's aligned with autism speaks. And this, this allows it people, hey, use this form for whatever you need and um, use it as a vehicle in which to fundraise. And I, I've so encouraged and taken a lot of one-on-one -on -one calls to help people come up with ideas of how to use this vehicle for a greater good. I think that 29 is when it has a ripple effect, just a positivity outside of fundraising that I'm very proud of, but the fundraising that takes place within the event is, is something that we don't promote a lot, but I'm immensely proud of because it's having so much of a positive impact for these charities by what these individuals are willing to do to raise money for causes that are important to them. Yeah, dude, that's it. Uh, and I love that you recognize that, that it's like, you're not writing the, the massive checks, but you're facilitating everything that happens in that and I think that is something that is super special. Steve and I have done a very good job of doing that as well. We're just involved in a lot of things and brainstorm and put our ideas together to help people raise more money or do other opportunities. And I think that's cool. My next question for you is just a pretty generic one, but it's one of the things that we see is people build businesses, but then they lose a lot of the momentum or a lot of their excitement about it. Do you believe that businesses or even like causes, people put more effort and attention into something when they have a charity component attached to it than when there's nothing attached to it? Yeah. I mean, look, I think it all goes back to what your core values and principles are as a business and why you're doing what you're doing. But I think if there's a more altruistic end or if there's maybe not an end to it, but there's a good that your business is doing, you have a certain responsibility. And here's what I'll say about 29. Yes, it is a facilitator of a lot of great fundraising and it gives people an opportunity. 
But I, running the business, feel an immense responsibility to make sure anyone listening to this, anyone who does this event in the future, has as good, if not a better experience than the two of you. Right? That's just an immense responsibility of wanting that smile, those good vibes, that storytelling, um, that community seal, that has to stay. Right? And so I think that it comes down to your why. Yeah, I think if, if you have a charitable cause, um, if you have a mission that's greater than just making money, I do think it's it, it's much easier to stay on track because you have a responsibility to others. You see the impact your business is having. I think if it's just about making money, I'm surrounded by a lot of entrepreneurs that they have enough money, right? So just if 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 your EBITDA goes from 12 to 15 million, okay, like great, you did a little bit better, but you, you're not living in a different lifestyle, right? Now, maybe you can give away more money and that's certainly a positive, but if you're not philosophically driven, it's just more money in your bank account that eventually your kids or grandkids are going to have. And I'm not knocking that. I'm a capitalist through and through, but I, I knew I would completely, not that you were being leading in this question, but I would completely agree with you. I think that if, if you have a mission or a cause, it's greater than just a product you're selling. It's it's much easier to stay on track and, and prosper the business in the future. Couldn't agree more. You know, I think that you've been, clearly, you've been able to have a really positive impact on thousands of people's lives, whether it be through you know, the uh, people who receive those donations from all the different events that you've been able to facilitate or through the people participating in those events like Randy and I um, in Whistler. I would love for you to take a second to like really dig deep into your own heart here for a second and tell us what it feels like providing those life changes and experiences for people. The first thing I'll say, well, thank you. Um, first thing I'll say, I'm going to surprise you, but like it, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, man. Like if you had the Athlon you know, we needed to exceed the donation amount year after year. And I felt tremendous pressure. It wasn't celebrated. The end it was relief of, okay, we beat last year's fundraising total because the ex expectations from the charity partner was grow and grow and grow. It like, that's horrible. I felt this immense responsibility to do it. Um, I'll say sometimes it's, it, it's surreal to, to know that we're having impact. I mean, at the decathlon, you know, we benefited Poetic, which was a consortium of eight of the best cancer hospitals in the United States that focused on in very underfunded region of pediatric oncology, right? We had kids that got to come and watch the event that we gave an extra birthday to, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it was just those funds specifically allowed a kid to get another birthday. And I think where it impacted me the most is looking at my own kids and thinking, man, I hope someone out there would be doing something like that, that if my kid was in this situation, would help me. Um, I don't know that I pat myself on the back or I look deep into my heart as, oh, I'm so proud of this or this really moves me. I think the thing is, I look at my kids and I think I, six times next year, get to be the host, right? Be the CEO and have the ultimate responsibility to deliver 29 out of 29 to 1,500 amazing humans, right? And with that responsibility, my kids will be in three events and get to see amazing humans like yourself. Right. I'm showing them the good in the world. They're not on TikTok. They're not on Instagram, both of which you're not allowed to have yet. But, you know, there's they're able to see the good in humanity, right? And I think it opens up your eyes to like, wow, this is an amazingly awesome world. Like, I'm a romantic. I'm like, there's so many good things. You're out in nature. You're around good people. Around people challenging themselves, making themselves better, creating 
these memories with strangers, with their kids, with uh, their siblings, with their parents, because with their business partners and friends, right? Like the bond that you all share together is going to last forever. And I think there's these beautiful moments that get created and that, that that's where I really think about it. It's, I know there's a ripple effect when they go home, but it's really, I love that my kids are able to see just so much good in the world. And it's something that had a hand in creating and bringing to life. So you really take that uh, lead by example into everything you do, hey? Yeah, look, and I think it's important for your kids to see it, right? Um, words don't mean anything. Like, look, I, I want my word to mean a lot. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it. But show me. Yeah. Right? And, and that's the kind of thing that my kids see it. When I get up and work out, and I don't want to work out, like they see me come into the kitchen and make my coffee and I'm sweaty, right? Like it has an impact. Like, oh, before I went to school, dad did a workout. And uh, maybe I got a little lazy. Now I like to work out around lunchtime. But like, you know, it, 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 uh, they see it, right? And I think that's super important. Yeah. To really lead by example, for sure. I can't tell you how much I respect that. But before we jump into our rapid fire giving round, I just have one more question for you. Brag on yourself for a moment. What is one of your favorite moments of giving that really still like gives you goosebumps today when you think about it? Look, I already mentioned one, which is, you know, when, when you get to meet a family, you said you gave my son another birthday. I'm not sure I'm going to beat that. But because I already said that, um, I'll pivot quickly uh, to prove myself as much real that I can think of my feet. And, uh, you know, I've pushed a gentleman named Octavius Rid Ridley. Um, our head coach, Brent Peace, has been my personal endurance coach for a while. And uh, he and his brother run a foundation called Kyle Peace Foundation. And it, it gives uh, disabled athletes the opportunity to do basically half marathons and marathons. And typically, those events are group fundraising events where two or three people come together and push a gentleman like Octavius for a marathon. And I just thought, I want to do this on my own. And so I did the Marine Corps Marathon. It was only the second marathon I'd ever done after my Ironman. And um, Don Davies and I ran a full marathon together and, you know, giving him the experience, he'd had the experience before, right? He, he, he participated and he'd run a marathon before being push assisted, but it always know where they grew. And this was four hours of me, right? And I, and I think crossing that finish line and hug of this, Hey, can we do this again? Was, and we did, we did a public marathon. We're looking for another marathon. To me, it was just incredibly impactful that like I used my fitness to do someone else on Right. It was just like this directly clear line of sight of I did this and you got why. And I just got to see it play out firsthand. And I gotta tell you, it was really, really hard. Right. Really hard. Way harder than I thought it was gonna be. And um it was very emotional. Right? And he was he was very grateful and we have a bond that will last a lifetime because we went through and got to do it together. I think that's why it was so impactful for me. It wasn't just a moment of meeting a family and, and, and the weight of that hitting you, but then not seeing them again. This is an ongoing relationship that continues and um, and it, it's very meaningful to me. That is special, man. Uh, speaking of runs before we jump through, what's, what's next for you then? So you've accomplished all this stuff. You kind of hit the peak of uh, 2029. Your fitness is good. Like, like what's next for you? Great question. Uh, you know, last year I did five out of nights, and I'm not making light of, of of doing one. They're all hard. You know, in a way. Like I know you didn't hit that moment. I had a moment in Utah where I was just like, "This is supposed to be easy for me," and and I was broken. Right? It was really hard. I'll continue to do a lot. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do five. Maybe all six this year. I just enjoy it so much. 
I've signed up for a race um, in Aspen, which is going to challenge, which you go from uh, Crested Butte to Aspen running 42 miles one day, and then the next day you bike back. And it's just, it's a whole different format of, you know, you don't get it all over with at once. You got to wake up being sore. I'm not a great mountain biker. I'm not good technically on a bike at all. I can climb really well. I don't sun well and all. So it forces me out of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I was on the bike this morning spinning early and I don't like to spin on the bike, but, you know, not great weather here in Atlanta today. And um, so it forces me out of my comfort zone. So it's, look, it's what I've realized is I can get a lot of what I need out of watching others do these events. And that's been the focus the last couple of years. But then selfishly, like, I want to finish lining it, right? And um, and so, yeah, that that's one. And I'm looking for others. I'm looking to, be, to do a gravel bike race or two because it kind of speaks to me being out for a long time, solitude, nature, but um, not the harrowing descent that I like to avoid on the mountain bike. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to watch your journey and uh, watch you uh, hit some of those finish lines. And dude, it's no small feat doing five 20 29s. I did one, and uh, it was exhausting. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so, so five is incredible. Um, we're going to jump into our giving round now. Some rapid fire questions, quick answer. You ready? Yep. Uh, break on one charity that you like. Kyle Peace Foundation. Love yeah. What's, what's so good about them? Uh, the brothers and their story, you know, two brothers that love each other. Brent want to look at his brother in a different way. It was just his brother. He wasn't a quadriplegic and he's found a way to share these moments together. And then give so many finish lines to kids and adults that would have them. So I just think it's, it starts with the love between brothers and then just giving people an opportunity to do something they otherwise wouldn't be able to. So it's the people behind it by far. Love that. What gets you more excited? Donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others? I'd like to be able to donate a million dollars one day. So I get pretty excited by that because I've done the opposite, quite frankly. Yeah, very cool. Uh, who inspires you with their giving? Uh, Jesse. It's sort of my partner. He's he's very giving and, and he does it in a quiet manner. It's it's very nice. It's very nice to see. I think all three of us agree on that one. Yeah. Um, do you think that entrepreneurs should include a line item of giving from day one in their business or wait until they've seen some success and have some money in the bank account? I think it's beautiful to include it from day one. I think it's unrealistic. 90% or 95% of businesses don't make it past two years. I mean, you, you got to find a way to find product market fit first. And then once you find a profitability, I think it's a very nice focus. And then think about giving back, but you can't get back if your business doesn't make it. You got a responsibility to your goals first, I believe. And then once you take care of your immediate needs and meeting your bills and being a going concern, then I think about giving back. Awesome answer. Uh, what's the first thing you think of when you hear go big to give big? I think about an abundant life, right? So I think about just dreaming big and not discounting what you can do yourself. And if you do that, then you're going to have an opportunity to either use your time, your money, or a combination of the two to impact many more people. Mm. Beautiful. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Grateful. Beautiful word, man. And the the final question uh, here we have, I'm sure you've heard it before, but do you believe that money can buy you happiness? I do. And I know it's supposed to be a one-word answer probably, but I'm, no, no, hit us with this one. I love it. I think 
I think that if, if you are financially stable, you're able to get to be selfish with yourself and how you spend your time. And, you know, in many cases, that's my wife right now spending so much time volunteering and giving back. The way she gives is she volunteers for every single thing at both my kids' schools. She's the mom of all of the events. She runs a huge charitable um, drive every year that takes up about the last three months of the year that impacts dozens of the families around the Atlanta area. Um, but if she was forced or needing to financially work a job, she wouldn't be able to do any of that. And I think she's found her calling in, in volunteering, spending a lot of time with charities and, and doing her own charitable giving of time and effort. But I, I think money can, so long as um, what that money gives you is the freedom of time. I don't think money can buy you happiness in terms of materialistic goods. I don't think those will ever make me happy. But if I have the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, if money's able to me to do that, then I do think that's a form of happiness. Absolutely, man. What a great answer. And I absolutely love that. And dude, just thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, and just pouring your heart out and talking about a topic that uh, a lot of people don't open up as much as you have uh, about the charity side and uh, getting to just share some of the experiences you've been through. And I want to give you a second to just share how can people find more out about you, maybe 2929, anything you're involved in or anything you're a part of. Yeah, thanks. I mean, look, thanks for having me. It, it, it means so much to just be able to interact more with, you know, gentlemen like, you know, you ran in, you see just seeing what you're doing. So I'm proud of the work that you're doing and, and um, your focus on, you know, going big and giving big is amazing. It's going to inspire a lot of people to have a lot of impact on what they do, which is, which is incredible. And look, I mean, you want to find out more, just, just Google the numbers 29029. Right? <laughs> uh, I'm not a great follow on Instagram. I have a private account here. You're more than welcome to follow me. I'll probably accept your request. My name is Mark Kodalik. You know, there's not another one, M-A-R-C. But well, look, I, I, I want more people just to, um, to, to bet on themselves, right? And so, in the whole kind of go big scenario, it's, um, you know, I've, I've bet on myself a lot of times in life. And I think everyone who signs up for 29 or 29 is betting on themselves in some, some way. And I just think the more you're able to do that, the more fulfilled life you're going to have. So I would just ask people to bet on themselves. And a 29 or 29 is a, a way that they can do it. I happen to support it. And if not, like, look, you know, see if you're doing your Ironman, you know, ping me, man. You know, I'll tell you about my, you know, talk to other people. Uh, we've done it. Like I, I champion all these events and, and um, certainly just want people to um, to be able to continue to grow as they get older. You going to talk me off the ledge? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I had a panic attack. Well, I'm there at a panic attack in my life. I always pride myself uh, on being very calm under pressure. Nothing, nothing rattles. I have no anxiety in my life. My head hits a pillow. I fall asleep right away. And my 200 yards in the swim, like two different people swam over my back. And I was like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And then I had this moment where I just laughed. And I was like, you're in a wetsuit. You're swimming. You can swim miles at a time. Like, it's fine. What are you worried about? Right? Um, it actually, that moment of getting rattled, and actually made it all seem fun. Right? Like, oh, you're going to survive. You're going to be fine. Like, the worst that's happened to someone swims over you is not that bad. Right? So, um, put in the work. You'll love it. They put on a great show. And um, you know, involve your family as much as possible, you know, because it's 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 a wonderful experience for people to share it with you, cheering you on, you know, being there for whatever it is. You know, involve family in those big events because they get a lot from it too. Dude, we could sit here and talk to you all day long. It's like every moment, I'm like, oh, can we just keep going? There's so much good here, but we gotta we gotta end it there, dude. Uh, just thank you again, 
Uh, thank you for inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals uh, so we can give bigger with our profit and uh, excited to see what the future has in store for you. Likewise. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Steve. Thanks a lot, Mark. So inspiring. So grateful. Cheers, boys. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.